Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. Let me ask for the Lord's blessing as we open the Word of God together. Lord Jesus, you have, by your Spirit, led us to reflect upon the wonder and the hope and the joy that was the first Christmas. So thank you for these men and these women whom you called upon to do great things. Thank you for your grace that was upon them. And I know your grace is upon us. Similarly, Lord, you have also entrusted us with things. So we want to ask as we look together again this morning that you would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would open us to your word. We can receive it into our hearts and grow more into the likeness of Jesus who was born for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we turn in the Word, I just want to introduce a little bit what I'm going to talk about today. It seems wherever we look at this time of year, uh, the glamour of Christmas is overwhelming. It's in your face. We're blanketed with lights, with decorations. And a whole lot of feel-good stuff, right? Just stuff that's supposed to make you feel good and warm and so forth. But as we have been feeling and as we have known personally, it's, none of that's really consistent with our reality. Ours right now, anyway, is one of sickness. It's one of grief. There's one of much loss and struggle. Now, some years it may not be so gloomy. Maybe some years all the decor and the, that joy is agreeable and feeds our spirit. But it won't be that way all the time, right? The world doesn't change for the calendar, does it? No. And the backdrop of our Christmas season thus far has been set in shadow. That's what it feels like, like there's a shadow cast over it. So I don't want to make little of our losses. I don't want to be too quick to dress it over with our Sunday best. I'm not saying don't hope, not at all. I'm just saying that if you ignore the pain, then you won't be looking for your hope. If all is well and you're fine and you'll get over it, then you know what you've done to hope? You've nullified it. You've pushed it off. If you ignore the darkness, you won't glory in the light. You won't glory in the light. Now, we've been looking at the characters, the real people, as real as you and I sitting here today, that 
God called upon the Advent stage, the time when He was coming. They did not audition or know in advance the part that they were going to play, but despite what changes it brought to their lives, they accepted it and they walked through it. The Bible gives us true portraits of these individuals, and as we have already seen, we have learned a lot from how they responded. But when you think of the coming of the baby Jesus into this world, what do you see as the backdrop of these people? You know, sadly, when we depict the biblical scene of Christ's advent, we often dress it up with our own Christmas feel-good stuff. Even the manger that the baby Jesus was laid in starts to look pretty comfortable. That hay looks soft, looks inviting. Wow, all is peaceful, all is calm, all is well. But look afresh and consider anew these stories that you're so familiar with. And you're going to find that the backdrop of the very first Christmas was really not so out of touch with our reality either. Remember what Isaiah said? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah 9 verse 2. So the news of this child conceived of the Holy Spirit was, well, we know what it meant. It meant joy, absolute joy for the world, for all people. But for those who were in the immediate forefront of what was happening, to whom it was entrusted, it was no slight adjustment. The Advent stage was fraught with crises, with turmoil, with estrangement, with pain, and as we keep reading on from weeks ahead, with death as well. Lives were flipped upside down when God showed up. So no, the Advent stage is not for the faint of heart. We saw last week, despite whatever it cost Mary, she accepted God's will to bear the Son of God. But perhaps the greatest uncertainty in her mind was how her betrothed husband, remember him? Joseph, the son of David. How would he react? And well, we've been looking at Luke together, right? And Luke ends this part of the narrative with this statement, okay? This is Luke 1, verse 56. It says, And Mary remained with her, that was Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So for the first three months of her pregnancy, Mary is at the home of her relative Elizabeth, with whom she found someone who could relate to and affirm what it was that she was going through. But the time came, of course, when Mary would need to go back. Perhaps the time of her betrothal was nearing its end. But no matter the reason, sooner or later, Joseph would come to find out that his betrothed bride, the one that he had the utmost regard for, was now with child. Whose child? You can imagine how shattering this might have been. Well, Luke doesn't record for us what happens next between these two, between Mary and Joseph. But here's the neat thing. Where Luke leaves off, it seems Matthew just picks up right from there. So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. (laughs) 
I'd invite you to stand with me as we read this passage together. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You can be seated. I think it's reasonable to conclude that this event that we just read about took place sometime after Mary returned from Elizabeth's house, not before. You see, I don't think Mary had yet revealed to Joseph what it was that God had told to her. Remember, they're not living together at this time. They're not in the same house. Mary's at her home, Joseph's at his, and he's building one for them, right? They're living with their own families, okay? Because betrothal was that. It was a time of preparation and putting things in order before they came together as husband and wife, okay? And this might have lasted anywhere up to to 12 months. So what I think happened, and this is just my conclusion based off what we have, is that immediately after receiving that message from Gabriel, Mary went straight away to see Elizabeth. Because it says in Luke... In those days, Mary arose and went with haste, with eagerness, with quickness, into the hill country to a town of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah. You see, I don't think Mary tried to relate what happened to any of her family or friends, and especially not yet her betrothed husband. She needed to talk to someone who could hear her story, right? And not look at her with disdain and say, well, that's crazy. Really, you're just, you hallucinated, or it's just a dream. I mean, based on what Gabriel told Mary, Elizabeth, right, and Zechariah, these two and these two only would have listened and affirmed that she wasn't just a 15-year-old narcissist fabricator. Because that's how others would have perceived her, especially if she was persistent about this actually happening. What? You think God chose you, a teenager? You're 15. Get on with this. But Elizabeth? No. She would not have blown her off or rebuked her because a similar word, right, had come to them, right? 
And in fact, the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth are straight from the Holy Spirit. Mary walks in the door and Elizabeth exclaims, I mean, she shouts out, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your Luke 2.42. So wait a minute. All that Mary has done is walked in through the door and uttered the traditional greeting, probably shalom or perhaps shalom lacha, peace to you. No news has been shared, right? Mary hasn't even sat down with Elizabeth when she exclaims this blessing, right? This twofold blessing. How would she have known that Mary had become pregnant? Through the Holy Spirit, she says these things. But notice, blessed are you, and blessed is your baby. Oh, and by the way, the fruit of her womb at this point is probably less than six weeks old. Was there even a heartbeat yet? (laughs) Well, it doesn't matter. Because it's not how far along a person is that makes them a human being. You understand that, right? So when a couple miscarries, no matter how far along in the pregnancy, they've lost a person, right? Not a tissue. The six-month baby in Elizabeth's womb did not leap for joy at the presence of a tissue. He leapt for joy at the presence of him who would be called Jesus. Listen, when he was no bigger than the size of a sesame seed. The Bible's not quiet in the least, about life being from conception. But I'll tell you what, Jesus' incarnation, it seems to seal it for me. Think about it. Jesus did not enter humanity as a fully grown nine-month baby, did he? He entered humanity where all humanity begins, as a fertilized egg, and we call a zygote. Why? Because that's when human life naturally begins, And the only exception is one thing that I can think of. Remember, there was two people, Adam and Eve, whom God created as mature adults supernaturally. But in the natural order as God ordained it, human beings come to be through conception. So Jesus would not be like us in every respect if he was not conceived and developed as we also are. Okay, say one inestimable difference, right, between him and us. What's that? This fertilization happened by the power of the Holy Spirit, not any man's seed. What that means is this. Jesus did not inherit a nature of sin like us because he was not of the seed of Adam. And that's why Jesus is also marked. He's explained as the New Testament is unfolded that he's the human race's hope for a new beginning. He's the last Adam. And the first Adam... His disobedience, that's who we're in, has become ours, and with it, condemnation. But for new life, you must be in the last Adam, the one who knew no sin. So conception through the Holy Spirit was the angel Gabriel's explanation to Mary about how she would bear this child while yet a virgin. So her question being answered, In that sense, but how would all of this work out with her betrothed husband? That's quite another story. Now we can only wonder what thoughts and what words and what 
preparation Mary was mulling over as she made her return trip to Nazareth, now three months along. But I'm confident of this. As a woman of faith, she no doubt committed such things to prayer. If God had willed this for her, he would see it through. So how long was it before the matter became known? Well, we're not really told, but in verse 18 we learn this, okay? It took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Okay. Now, the scripture clarifies for the reader, okay, from the Holy Spirit. No question. But this was not yet known to Joseph. Okay. Here he is, working with eagerness and excitement, on their new home, when, however it happened, Mary said, maybe just Mary took him aside and to talk to you. I don't know. Did the family find out? Did they leak word? We're not told. However it happened, it becomes known that his beloved is with child. Now, there's a lot that Joseph doesn't know at this point, but one thing he does know is this. It's not his. He hasn't been with her. He knows that. And so this man probably went from elated anticipation to just a dampened disappointment. Must have been shattering. I can imagine a whirl of emotion that probably took flight in Joseph's heart. Disbelief because, well, this did not seem to be the Mary that he knew. And so close to their ceremony. The pain of betrayal, the hurt of rejection. Sure, he was probably a bit older than she was, but he thought she loved him. They already committed themselves to one another. On top of that, the embarrassment of it. You realize that people would naturally assume that he was the cause of this pregnancy. He was the one who acted unchaste. How could he move forward and take this woman as his wife? Deeply hurt, confounded. The only recourse in his mind was to end it now. And that meant divorce. You say, I thought they weren't married. Well, remember, they were legally bound together. That's what betrothal meant. So to end it, to dissolve a betrothal meant you needed to divorce. Because for her to be, in Joseph's mind, sexually active with another man during the betrothal was, meant she was guilty of adultery. So it's right here, in the midst of this personal crisis, that the Bible gives us our first glimpse of the kind of person that Joseph was. So look here at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know, one thing fascinating about Joseph's portrait, if you consider it in Scripture, is this. Among all four Gospels, think about this, we never once hear Joseph ever speak. You realize that? His words, never recorded. 
It doesn't mean he couldn't speak. He wasn't mute like Zechariah, right? The Bible just never records anything that he ever said. So everything we learn comes by how he is described, and mostly in terms of how he acted and responded. And the first thing we observe about him is this. The Bible says Joseph was a just man, a righteous man. That doesn't mean he was sinless. Okay? When the Bible describes people as righteous, it means that generally speaking, they followed God's commands and they had upright character. That was Joseph. But the verse goes further than that because it tells us how Joseph demonstrated such a just character. Notice the focus of the sentence, right? Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay. So it's not what Joseph had resolved to do that the verse is pointing out, but how he resolved to do it. The word in my translation is quietly, but what that meant was you could translate it as privately. Okay. He wanted this to be handled among themselves with just a few people and not openly in the Jewish courts. Why? He did not want to see her shamed. He didn't want to put her through that. Well, because he still loved her. And he thought of her even though he believed he had been betrayed by her. Because Joseph was a just man, he loved kindness. That's from Micah. What is good? What... What does God require of you? But that which is good, right? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And that's what Joseph was. He loved kindness. Would the same be said of you? Would those who know you say that you are kind in heart? That you consider the fragility of people's spirits before you say what you feel you have to say, even when you know you're right? Do you think of how God has loved you despite your unfaithfulness? Mary actually here was pure. She remained faithful to Joseph. But you and I have at times lusted after the world and made adulterers of ourselves. And even then, God still handles us with gentle grace. Joseph's character confronts our brashness and our pride. Well, he must have been wrestling with this all night on his bed, making up his mind of what he would do. And perhaps in this emotional exhaustion, he falls asleep. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, okay. saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the angel's words are both reassuring and tremendous. Tremendous. A great relief must have washed over him, knowing that Mary had been faithful all along, just as he knew her to be. But the truth of what was laid before her was now also laid upon him. This was tremendous. Joseph also had a role to play in the advent 
of Messiah. What God was calling Joseph to do was to step forward and be the earthly father. Indeed, the adoptive father of God's very own beloved son. Take Mary as your wife, he tells him. Because the child within is not from another man, it's from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, you're going to give him this name, Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sins. And this indeed is the most tremendous part of it all. This child has already has a name planned by God, Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua, the Lord saves. That's his name because that's his mission. Call him, the Lord saves, Joseph, because he's going to save his people, even you, from their sins. You think about what they were going through at this time. Roman oppression, Roman taxation. But the Lord's purpose was not to save his people from Rome. Rome was not the people's worst problem. It was just a symptom. The worst problem was and is the thing that people are most overlooking, rationalization, even loving, their sins. And what that tells us is that Jesus, as one writer put it, was not coming here for a cameo, making a quick appearance and disappearing again. He was coming to live among us, to suffer with us, and then to suffer for us, even to death. Because, friends, that's how sins are removed and forgiven through sacrifice. This child would later say, I lay down my life for my sheep. My life for yours. So Christmas, Jesus' birth, it's all for this. He's the last Adam, born to set you free. You have to acknowledge your sin, though, to be saved from it. Pray to him. Ask him now to release you, and he will. And you'll be, as Scripture says, Born again. New beginning. Jesus is the new beginning. Amen. Well, in verse 22, Matthew wants the reader to understand why these things were happening. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, This was all in fulfillment of things that God said were going to happen. Now, by the way, this is the first of many times that Matthew is going to break in and tell us, hey, this happened for a reason. And you take them all together, and it's meant to show you this, that what happened cannot be explained away as mere coincidence. Not this many things being fulfilled. Okay. I'm going to move on. Well, Joseph has been given a message, right? And Was that enough to change his mind? Would he dismiss the dream? Let's continue on, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did. As the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife. Here's the second thing that we learn about him. Joseph was an obedient man. He was an obedient man. He did. As God commanded him, he didn't vacillate. He didn't ask for more signs. He acted accordingly, and he did it promptly. 
It would seem that it was that very day that he took Mary as his wife. I love this quick and unrestrained embrace, right, of what God had commanded. He heard the word and he did it. You may not find obedience very impressive, but it is what God calls us to do. We want to do more things. We want to do grand things. We want to do, well, more often than not, me things. But can you just obey his command to you today? Can you make quick work of it? There may be a particular responsibility God has laid on your heart, a deed that you need to do, a person you need to talk to, a message you need to deliver. If you don't already know where to start obeying God, you can kick it off with this. How about giving thanks to Him in everything? So Joseph did what the angel said. Now our text is almost through, but one additional detail is told to us about Joseph. Did you notice this in verse 24 and 25? He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Now, knew her not. That's Bible talk for they didn't have sex. Okay. Now, folks, it's official. Mary is his wife. And as you know, sexual intimacy is God-ordained gift of marriage. But Joseph, the newlywed, restrains himself. Now go back and try telling your newlywed self to control your passion after your big day. Not going to be easy. But why did Joseph do this? Well, the text only says this, that he waited until after she had given birth to a son. In other words, Joseph's self-control can be attributed to this. He understood from what God had revealed to him that he needed to safeguard the integrity of this miraculous conception. In other words, he allowed God's presence, not his passions, to guide his behavior. And when God's presence is prized by us, you and I can also have the same kind of self-control in all things, by the way. Because the fact of the matter is, men and women, whether you're married or not, still have to have self-control, even in marriage. You're not always going to get what you want. But are you going to go start looking for it elsewhere? Or in the seasons of abstinence, are you going to keep God's presence dominant in your life? That's how you have control over your body. I thought of different words to express this trait of Joseph. He was a patient man. He was a controlled man. But I think this narrows it best. Joseph was an honorable man. He was an honorable man. He honored the unique work of God. It may have been his right. It may have been his freedom to know his wife, right? But God's work in his mind was more important than his immediate need. And he was resolved to keep that work pure, unstained. He was an honorable man. And in more ways than one, an exemplary figure on the Advent stage. He was just. He was obedient. And he had integrity. (laughs) Mary may often get more attention for her faith this time of year. But you know what? Joseph's response was no less admirable. It came through a moment of great crisis, turmoil. 
And you think about it with this news, whatever Joseph's vision of the future, whatever plans and dreams he had for his life together with Mary, well, these were upended. This was flipped. Life wasn't going to be what he expected it anymore. He already has a son to care for. That may be how you are feeling this Christmas. Upended. Suddenly in a whirlwind of change. I want you to know, God has seen many people through a dark time. And he did for Joseph. And he will for you. So let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you again for yet another portrait of a real person who went through a great trial where things could have gone, could have split. But thank you, God, that you called this man to be the caretaker of your son. And I pray that his example, his response to what he heard from you would teach us this day. Lord, have we been men and women who have loved kindness? Have we Have we prized your name above our own needs? Have we lived with integrity? So Lord, as you saw Joseph through this difficult time, may we know today, confidently go out from these doors, knowing that you will see us through because you care for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com.